Common Room, a series of podcasts by the LSE Higher Education blog. I am Claire Gordon, your host, and today we're discussing Brexit and teaching and learning. How do academics at LSE teach about Brexit? As head of the Eden Centre for Education Enhancement and a scholar of EU politics and Eastern Europe, this podcast brings together two key research interests and passions, the EU and learning and teaching. How do lecturers incorporate Brexit into their curricula and teaching? How do they teach such a polarising topic? And what has the response from students been? With the general election round the corner, Brexit as a key issue, if not the issue, and the record numbers of under-25s registering to vote, the student vote is acquiring increasing significance. With us today are two LSE academics, Tony Travers and Swati Dingra. Tony teaches a course on the politics and policies of Brexit, the UK's changing relationship with the European Union, a course which attracts both undergraduates and postgraduates. Tony is the director of LSE London and a professor in the School of Public Policy. Swati is in the Department of Economics and teaches courses in international economics to undergraduates, masters and doctoral students. Tony and Swati have both published widely, regularly advise government and can be heard and seen providing expert analysis about the economics and politics of Brexit across a range of media. Today we hope to discuss what that conversation looks like in the classroom or lecture hall. If I could start with you first, Tony, I want to ask you both about the background and origins of, of your teaching in relation to Brexit. So, Tony, could you tell us a little bit about how the course, the politics and policies of Brexit came into being? Yes. I mean, what's interesting about it is that see, working in the LSE uh, with lots of colleagues, social scientists, various, I mean, the, our world is always changing. I mean, there are new things going on all the time in government, politics, economics, right across the disciplines represented in the school. And the thing about Brexit is that it's one of those things sort of, you know, importance, it's importance to UK and indeed European and indeed potentially global politics and economics is profound. And uh, I had talked with a number of colleagues, but particularly with uh, my colleague Kevin Featherstone from the European Institute, about uh, how not only teaching, but all aspects of what we do, events and so on in the school, ought to address the question of Brexit. And uh, I can't actually remember exactly who suggested it to whom, but anyway, somebody will have said we could run a course on this. That's a good idea, as people do in the LSE all the time. Like we should set up a research centre or whatever it is. You know, they have these. We have these conversations, but on this occasion, it led through to the creation of the course, um, and uh, in a sense, both the creating, as is often the case, creating the course, and then inviting colleagues to, and indeed outsiders to take part on it has been simultaneously intellectually stimulating and fun. And you know, as I was going to say a bit later on in, in, in all of this, one of the great things about an issue of this kind that appears from apparently from nowhere is that it uh, does challenge you to think not only about putting together another course, but exactly how one is going fairly to represent all the aspects of it and indeed given it's a high, I know we're going to come on to it's a highly contested issue 
exactly how to do that. So it's a, it's a great test for academics, it seems to me, to how they present research and other expertise. But in, a, but in this particular case, around an issue which is, in effect, uh, the subject of a full-throttle culture war within the United Kingdom. Thank you. And as you say, we're going to come back to that issue again in a little while. Um, Swat, if I could turn to you now, I understand you cover Brexit in all your courses. What made you introduce um, Brexit at all those different levels? I teach international economics at all levels. And one of the big changes that's happened in the field of international economics, both sort of in terms of the research as well as the public debate and policy making, is that we've suddenly seen that going from an era of increasing globalization, we're now in an era where we're seeing deglobalization policies being enacted. So I think it's really important to let students look at that real world application of of tools that they've learned in the course analysis that they've become capable of doing to be able to apply that to a real world situation. And what's fantastic about that, these events is that from students' point of view, they're actually seeing application of material that they've studied. They're able to think through how they would put together their own data or their own theories to be able to explain the facts that they're seeing unfold in front of them. And what we're doing is enabling them to be able to think through these situations. So it's a sort of Almost a look, not quite a laboratory situation, but an application in practice. Of exactly. The learning. And the last time some sort of really big event like this happened would be probably when the Uruguay round in 1995, when the WTO came into being in a very formal way. So since then, we haven't had these big events. And this is really sort of a great opportunity for them to see it. Great. Okay. Thank you. Um, I remember talking to colleagues who were teaching in 1989 at the time of where we had the sort of domino effect of regimes in Eastern Europe collapsing one after the other in the autumn of 1989. Now, we're not quite at that stage, but we are facing a sort of constantly changing, evolving political and economic situation. How how do you approach that in terms of planning and designing teaching on a, on a course on the politics and policies of Brexit? And also, what do you see as perhaps some of the differences of discussing with LSE students, with versus, say, policymakers or TV pundits? I suppose most obviously um, there are some elements of the Brexit story which are embedded. So, you know, the, the issue of the UK's complicated relationship with the EU or, and indeed the EU's predecessor organisations, that bit stays constant. What's intriguing about uh, Brexit, of course, is that it's it is like a laboratory experiment. It's it's going on there in real time. And by the way, we're only at the foothold, foothills. You know, Swati has taught me a lot of things, uh, not least about what I didn't know about trade and its impact on the economy. And we're nowhere near all of that feeding through into the economy. So, uh, the, so in terms of elements of the course can be left and are broadly historical, but some of it's moving in real time. Indeed, I was uh, teaching on the course yesterday and, you know, going through the slides I'd used last year, I had to rewrite almost all of them. This was about the impact of Brexit on British government and British political institutions. So it is a live subject. And with that in mind, I think we have to be aware that the students are simultaneously, they want to have the most up-to-date information based on research, where there is research. Remembering research, academic research moves a bit more slowly than the subject, and not only this one. Uh, with, so with that in mind, 
you know, we need to be aware of everything that's going on out there, bring out what we're saying up to date in the lecture. But I think in terms of what the students want and expect, for some, obviously for some, they'll have more background than others. It's not unique to this issue. You know, some of them have a, a, a sort of deep understanding of UK political institutions and politics over many years. Others don't. And so, in a sense, in talking to them, in teaching, it is necessary to remember that some of the history needs to be infilled as you're going along all the time. And that, um, you know, for many of them, it's part of their lived experience, certainly uh, Brexit day by day, and that many of them will have, as we all do, emotional responses to the subject. It's not simply teaching, uh, you know, classical history, important though that is. Um, this is something where they will have a sort of personal political view about it. And I think it's important to be aware of that and also not to assume that uh, there is homogeneity of view out there. You know, students like the rest of us have different views on many, many issues. Thank you. And that's absolutely a key issue that we want to interrogate a little bit more in a minute in terms of emotional responses to Brexit, the diversity of viewpoints in the classroom, and also the fact that students may have very widely um varying levels of knowledge about what you're actually talking about. But just let me put that on pause for a moment and bring Swati in and ask, um, how do you see the difference between um, speaking to a group of students about Brexit and international economics and trade versus, you know, when you're sitting on news night and you're being asked to comment on issues of the day? I think you might be surprised at what I'm going to say. Actually, there isn't really a difference. Okay. So... The point of academics stepping into the public debate on some sort of extremely big policy issue like this is that we're there to provide independent, sort of sanitized view of what we think is going to happen. So as best informed as we can be. And that's precisely what we want to do with our students as well. We don't want to guide them in one direction or the other. We want to lay out the facts and explain to them how we got to those facts or the analysis and that's precisely what I would do if I were, say, on Newsnight or if I were in a classroom. And the point is for students to make up their own mind, just like it's for the audience of BBC to make up their own mind about what they think of our view on it. Great. Okay, so maybe we'll move ahead and talk about what are some of those challenges in terms of teaching Brexit. Have you, um, how have you handled any sort of emotional responses that might that might emerge? And, and also, do you think that there are students who might feel that because their views are less, let's call them mainstream for an institution, a sort of a institution of higher education, which is populated by members of the so-called liberal elite, how do you create space for those students to feel comfortable in expressing what might be a, a popular view? I think that I mean, it's a really important issue and not unique to this subject, though this subject does, I think, act as a very clear way of thinking about the question of how anybody in talking about any subject distances themselves from their own political views. Academics are expected rightly to distance themselves from their own political views. It's slightly in a way journalists have to as well. And with that in mind, therefore, to speak about a subject in a way that is simultaneously enthusiastic but dispassionate, I think. So you're trying to tread the line between um, uh, sounding terribly sort of uh, you know, factual and giving the information, research, whatever it is, uh, in, a, in a way that is distant from your own views, 
but without it sounding uh, boring. You know, you need to make it sound interesting as well and be enthusiastic about it. And I do think it's possible to do that. And look, I mean, not only when I'm talking here at the LSE, but elsewhere as well. I always imagine the audience includes people who have quite widely different views. So how is what I'm saying going to hit them, whether they're a kind of raging uh, Remainer or, a, you know, massively in favour of leaving the EU? Because most of what we're saying, and Swati alluded to this earlier on, is factual. I mean, you know, here is some research or here is an opinion, actually, uh, about what's going on. And it is possible to describe that, I think, in a way that is factual without necessarily saying, I am on my way, I agree with this or I disagree with this. Academics produce research on both sides of lots of arguments. We present that both ways. And by the way, with Brexit, none of us knows how it will really turn out in terms of economics or political science to name but two disciplines. So I think that, you know, imagining that the uh, student body, which it will, and the audience more generally beyond uh, the classroom contain people with radically different views and you need to speak to them in a way that neither of them finds, finds you can challenge them but doesn't find you sort of, they think you're kind of arguing against them in some way that you're just presenting the information presenting the facts and research that is a doable, it is deliverable it's achievable what you want about you? Yeah, I'll add something to what Tony just said which is, so thanks to people like Tony, we do get a lot of exposure even within an institutional setting. We don't have to necessarily go out to news programs alone to be able to get a diversity of opinion. And I think what is nice about the same person having to face a class of students as well as other audiences sort of more broadly is that you might think that students would feel a bit of fear if they go against what the teacher, what they might perceive the teacher's opinion to be. And with a more general audience, you don't, they don't necessarily have that fear. So we have heard those diversity of opinions, both sort of in student settings as well as in other settings. And I think most of us are cognizant of the fact that there will be a diversity of opinions and some of these students might share those opinions. And therefore, it's better to sort of upfront, you know, take on the task of saying you might have these other notions as well. And here's why we think evidence suggests that this may or may not be true. So I think we always present cases like those to the students as well and let them have an argument with each other or with us about it. I mean, I understand there's, of course, always going to be that concern that students might not be able to speak up very much, but I think there are enough channels built into it, the way we teach that we encourage them to do so rather than shut the conversation down. So thank you. I mean, I don't know if you, what I wanted to ask was um, in a teaching situation, how, how, what are the things you might do to create space for those diverse viewpoints to be aired? Well, I think, and I didn't, uh, Swati's answered it rather elegantly. I failed to uh, address that part of your question. Um, I think that it's, it's all a matter of, um, how you present the information. I mean, you, you, and, if you're going to approach a group of people, be they students or others, frankly, and you make it absolutely clear what your views are, your personal views are, um, it is going to put part of the audience off if they hold different views. And we're trying, I think, not to do that. We're trying to say, this is the evidence. And that actually leaves space, uh, I think, for students of whatever view to ask questions and uh, to have them addressed in as dispassionate a way as possible. 
and you know, and thinking, and, and the whole process of Brexit's made me think about more generally about you know academics and other audiences we don't normally speak to. You mentioned the liberal elite issue, which I think universities uh, absolutely need to think about. And you know, the question is, we're talking about issues which actually are of interest, which clearly of interest to people who are way beyond the normal reach of university. Uh, lectures or public events or whatever. And so again, I think that the question of how academics express their views and indeed what they say about the research base that they're building upon or they, they're using to, exp you know, to explore issues, you know, it, it, it ought to be possible to say this to any group of people and for them to feel comfortable then to come back and ask you a question of fact or indeed even a question of opinion because our opinion's buried in all of this. So, um, I, you know, I think there's a big... Brexit is a really interesting issue in making all of us think harder about how we um, get across to people not only complex ideas but ideas that are controversial and then how we make sure everybody in the audience, be they students or others, feels free to express their own views. And I think that's the, in a sense, it's the essence of what universities exist for. I can give you a concrete example. So next week I'm giving them a problem set which is related to trade policy. And one of the topics we cover in that is Brexit, of course. It is, an, it is an article that I've written. And of course, it's very clear which way I stand on the issue, economically speaking, even. So I think... If I, instead of sort of hiding and saying that I'm neutral in terms of what I believe or what I think about the issue, I think that would be probably a bit deceptive for the students. So it's better to just tell them, here's what I think my opinion is. Now write an essay which gives you so many words where you actually critique everything I'm saying. And I think that encourages them then. It breaks that sort of barrier that they can't disagree with me or they can't sort of say something that I've written something against that. I think encouraging them to have a problem set which explicitly says that you're supposed to find fault with the argument. So that it encourages them then to think more critically about it. And that sounds like a really nice way of taking out the personal in terms of the students' views because they've been asked to occupy a particular position and then explore how that particular position might work in, in, op in, in opposition or in critique to, to, to your position. Well, I don't, not to chip in, it's sort of an elegant exposition of scientific method, really. I mean, all science proceeds by... Uh, you know, examination of previous research, attempts to falsify it or to replicate the results. And I think Swati's way of you know, making the point is actually uh, very, very clear and a good one because everybody feels open to critique the research. And why not? You can do that from any view you like. And whatever view one, any of us hold, there are going to be people on both sides that have views very differently, even from the views we may personally hold. Thank you. So I want to, um, I've got a couple more questions I wanted to ask you. I want to return to this issue, which is, a, again, a more a generic teaching issue, which or teaching and learning challenge, which takes a particular form in relation to Brexit, which is sort of how do we, um, how do we, um, approach the fact that students do come into the classroom with very differing levels of knowledge, as well as in issues around identity in relation to Europe and the Brexit question? I think it's, again, it's not unique to the Brexit question, but it is uh, clearly going to be an issue 
in the LSE, which is a, an international institution, or it's got students from all over the world, colleagues from all over the world, and we all have, you know, different embedded backgrounds, uh, which are to some extent based on what we've learned in the past and the cultural surround that, you know, that we've had over our lives. And against that background, I just think we need to be careful again and again and again when we're introducing an idea, or particularly something based on, um, say the history or a particular policy as it's evolved, that you put in a brief explainer to it. Um, you know, because uh, not a, some some people will know all of it because they'll have learned it, they'll have lived through it. Others will not. And I think that actually the advantage of being in uh, an institution with uh, students and colleagues from all over the world is that it doesn't make you think about the fact that we all have you know embedded knowledge, and that we need to ensure ensure that others who don't have the same embedded knowledge at least get enough of the background to be able to understand what they're hearing in real time. So I think that um, it's not unique to this issue, but this Brexit does beg the the challenge again and again and again of just explaining, I mean, how the EU institutions came into existence. You know, the fact that it started off as a sort of response to the Second World War and all the uh, economic and political issues that fed into the creation of the institution, you can do that very, very quickly and then get on to the EU today. And of course, in particular, in relation to that particular point, we shouldn't overestimate how much people who have grown up in Europe know about how the EU institutions came into existence. I think that might Or be. indeed into British attitudes to the EU, which are, you know, as visible from space, different from those in many other EU countries. And um, we need to be aware of that as well. And, you know, as I say, it is one of the advantages of being in an institution with students and colleagues from all over the world that, you know, things will need to be explained, which perhaps wouldn't if you're teaching a group of any one country's own students about their own history, let us say. Well, there will be a much more embedded uh, and understood knowledge base. And as I said earlier, I knew nothing about trade until Brexit came along, and I've been to many of Swati's lectures, and I now feel I know a little bit about trade. So there we are. For those kind words from Tony. <laughs> so the, one of the ways that I think has worked for me, which has been useful in classes, is that I get a lot of international students because it is a course in international economics, which means that many, many different students from different countries find it interesting. Um, so one of the things I've noticed that has happened over the years is that, you know, now I see many of my Singapore students telling me about industrial policy as it was implemented in Singapore and how those can have lessons for the Brexit, post-Brexit policy if the UK were to think of industrial strategy seriously and so on and so forth. So you have enough examples from these many other countries which people can bring to bear the knowledge that they have of it, which you know, people like me may not be aware of even those policies that were implemented, that they are able to educate not just me, but other students and to bring many of these interesting case studies to light. And I think that's really enriched the debate that happens within the lecture rooms as well. Yeah, so that sounds fantastic that students can feel that their knowledge and background and prior experience is relevant, even in the context of discussing something which seems rather, at least initially, Eurocentric or, or British-centric even. So perhaps um, it would be good to hear from you both about what the student feedback has been on, on taking 
students have opted to take the particular course? What's what feedback have they given you? Well, I mean, it seems to be um, pretty positive. Um, uh, I mean, the great thing about the Brexit course is that it's uh, in real time. It's it's a living subject. Uh, we get, you know, we've had good feedback from students. I think uh, they enjoy it. Uh, they seem to enjoy it. Um, and um, what we've not had, I think, is any you know any suggestions that we need radically to alter the way we've structured the course so far but we will review it we do have to and you know and uh, you know kevin uh, featherstone and i uh, met uh, in the summer you know to review the whole course to think about what you know feedback we'd had and actually what changing events might require us to change by way of the content of the course and the reading lists, because reading lists are much more um, mobile uh, than perhaps traditional courses were, uh, because there's so much research coming on, uh, coming along at any point. So I think the, the responses have been good, but I mean, you, you know, in a sense, we will need to think after we've run it for two or three years, whether we have a sort of review of the course. Um, and decide whether it, you know, this course in its current form will continue because Brexit itself will move on. And then, you know, assuming Brexit happens, quite a big assumption, then it will turn into a course which will be far more about international relations and trade policy and rather less about the machinations of how it all happened and what's going on in UK and European politics hour by hour. So we'll have to review the course quite soon, I suspect. Thank you. And Swati, what about you? How, are you? how have your students responded to studying Brexit in the context of international economics? So the first thing, just as Tony put it, which is that we haven't had any kinds of complaints saying that it was one, the slide was one way or the other. So I think that's been really positive that people haven't come out thinking that we're trying to sort of politically manipulate them, rather that we're just trying to make them aware of a big political change that's happening. In terms of sort of what the student feedback has been, I think it's really enabled students to go beyond just doing very simple problem solving, which will let them get high marks in a test, to going beyond that and thinking very critically about not just what the methods taught in the course is, but what the relevance of learning those methods is. And I think that's reflected also in the fact that we recently proposed in my course at all levels that we would change the way students are assessed from an exam to an essay. And typically when you do big changes like these, when there's been no precedent and you don't have the sample essay to show to them, there's a lot of resistance to that. We had almost an 80% vote in favor of changing the assessment, largely because people wanted to actually be able to write and they wanted to write about topics that are going on around them. So I think the whole Brexit, the Trump trade war has really helped international economic students. I can't say anything about sort of what it's done to the economy, but in terms <laughs> of moving the economics profession forward and getting more students interested, it's had very positive impacts. Great. Okay, well, thank you. I've got a final question for you both, which is if um, someone within the LSE or at another institution of higher education were to come and ask you for a bit of advice about designing a course and teaching a course where Brexit was a key topic of the course or a key theme within it, what advice would you give to those colleagues? I think we've just bumped up against that. I mean, that it's a living subject. It is a subject where it's moving on all the time. It is um, 
profoundly the, the, the need to change the content will be there almost all, you know, hour by hour during lectures, actually, at one point, I sometimes thought. Um, and, uh, you know, literally, I mean, I, I, when I, early on this term, it was a day when something very important was going on. And I remember saying at one point, if any of you, if any of you've got anything off the internet about this while we're speaking, do let me know. I mean, it was literally moving in real time. So I think, it's a subject where the research base, but the topic itself is moving all the time. So you're going to need to review what you're teaching and the shape of the course really very much more than other courses, which, you know, to some degree can be left in place for, uh, obviously reviewed, but left in place for longer periods. So it, it's a living subject. Thank you. I think... Uh when people used to tell me, senior colleagues, that you should do research policy and teaching, all that sort of goes in the same direction, I don't think it was ever true to this point. I do research on this, I actually teach it in my courses, and I'm involved in sort of policy discussions about it. And I think that really sort of comes through, and most students really appreciate having all three of those dimensions kind of put together. I'd like to thank Tony and Swati for joining me today despite their hectic schedules and sharing how and why they teach their students about Brexit. It's wonderful to see the burning political and economic issues of the day being debated in our classrooms. It's also fascinating to hear how the intrinsic links between research, education and public engagement come together around the issue of Brexit and really represent the university higher education at its best. We've also had some really interesting discussions about the challenges of teaching dispassionately, creating spaces for students to explore Brexit, challenging issues from multiple viewpoints and, and searching for an evidence base in which to make sense of what's going on around them. And I think we've also heard how, how interesting it is to be faced with a complex issue and then put our theories and our uh, methods to the test in terms of trying to make sense of what's going on around us. So thank you all for listening and thank you again to Swati and Tony. Thank you.